Welcome to episode 315 of Crack the Customer Code, where it takes more than chocolates and cards to steal your customers' hearts. Adam, the days with you seem long, <laughs> but the years seem short. But I'm just curious, have we been doing this for more than 100 days? Uh, quite a thousand million times more. Uh, yeah. that's, what it, that's what it feels like, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but legitimately, I mean, we're on episode 315, so <laughs> we've been doing this a while. Yes, we absolutely have. Uh, we are... We are 300 and something episodes young. There you go. There you go. And the reason I bring up that 100 days is because we have a great conversation to share today with Joey Coleman, who talks about how critical that first phase of any customer journey is and how if you can get them to day 101, that's where the magic of retention happens. So I, I can say that we're a testament to that because we have we gone are. way past 101. You, you were so nice to me that first 100 days when we started this. And then I know. Just, I was like, really good at that. Once I was suckered in. <laughs> it, was, it was the classic bait and switch. <laughs> exactly. But we're not talking about bait and switch. We're talking about no. focusing on the initial experience, that early formative piece of the experience. And you know, one thing we didn't talk about in the episode that I've always liked about the first impression discussion with customer experience is that idea of confirmation bias. So mm -hmm. when you set that table, when you set that tone, that's how people are going to, that's the belief they're going to have. So whatever you yeah. said early is the one you're either uh, enjoying the benefits of or working against. Right. And there, there are certain key points in the process where you can make it, you can, you know, make it a more connected emotional experience. And that goes a long, long way. So I think we should jump right in and tell everybody about Joey. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. So Joey Coleman helps companies keep their customers. An award-winning speaker, he works with organizations around the world, ranging from small startups to major brands such as Deloitte, Hyatt Hotels, Zappos, and Whirlpool. His first 100 days methodology fuels the remarkable experiences his clients deliver and dramatically improves their profits. In his book, Never Lose a Customer Again, he shares strategies and tactics for turning one-time purchasers into lifelong customers. When not speaking to audiences around the globe, Joey enjoys spending time with his amazing wife and two young sons in the mountains of Colorado. Joey, how are you? I'm very well. Thanks, Adam. Joy to be on the show today. Well, we're thrilled that you're with us and so excited about this topic, so I'm going to jump right in. <laughs> Perfect. There we go. Let's go. We're not going to mess so, around. We're going to we're going to onboard this podcast immediately. <laughs> nice. That's right. That's right. Because I love what you say about the first 100 days. And I think that you talk about this in a slightly different way than a lot of people who talk about that first, you know, critical time period. So so tell us why the heck is that time frame so important? Well, what's fascinating, Jeannie, is that if you look at all industries around the world, regardless of whether you're operating B2B, B2C, B2G, selling products, selling services, this time period of the first 100 days of the relationship is incredibly important. And in fact, there are two statistics about this time period uh, that are really shocking to me and are really the impetus behind the entire concept in the book. Number one, in uh, when you average in all businesses around the world, somewhere between 20 and 70% of your new customers will decide to stop doing business with you 
before they reach the 100 day anniversary. To well, me, this number good. is <laughs> yeah, it's insane. We spend all this time, money, and effort, you know, marketing and selling and filling the funnel and driving them in the front door. And meanwhile, 20 to 70% are running out the back door before we've even had a chance to get to know them. Oh, I don't know, recoup the cost of acquisition, uh, <laughs> you know, do any of the things we hope to do as businesses, whether we're serving them as, as a product or a service. So, th- so this is a scary uh, fact. It's compounded by the reality that the period of the first 100 days, and we define day one as when they make the purchase or they uh, you know, sign the contract or hand over the money and they become transition from being a prospect to being a customer, that period from day one up to day 100 is more dispositive of the lifetime value of the customer than any other factor that we can measure. So how they feel in those first 100 days is going to contribute more to how much money they spend with you, whether they refer business to you, how long they are a customer than anything else. And if we can get them to day 101 in the typical business, they'll stay for five years. So we really want to focus on this time period because it's the most important time period of the entire relationship. Mm -hmm. Wow, cool. Very nice. And it's interesting because we talk so often about acquisition versus retention. But what we don't talk about nearly as frequently is the timing of retention and the timing of how, uh, how retention is affected by the phase of the life cycle. So I think that's fascinating that you've got uh, the statistics are, are great. I love them. And so let's talk about that early phase, that first 100 days, because I know you define onboarding a little differently. So can you tell us about how you turn this sort of dull process sometimes, hopefully for not every company, into an invitation? Well, I I do two things. Number one, first of all, I define onboarding as inviting in new customers using a managed, structured series of contacts designed to create a welcoming experience. So that's a lot of words. Let me break it down briefly. Inviting in, not acquiring, not filling the funnel, not forcing them or tricking them to be your customer, but actually extending an invitation that feels like they are being uh, part of a family or being welcomed into an ongoing relationship. Using a managed, structured series of contacts. So not a, hey, we'll do it sometimes, or, you know what would be really cool with this customer is if we tried this, right? It's better to have a system that is structured around having regular contact and regular touch points with your customers. And that all of this is designed so consciously conceived, to create a welcoming experience. Not an onboarding experience, not a you're a new customer experience, but a welcoming experience and kind of all of the the emotional connection that is associated with that type of interaction. Well, I love that so much because so many times when organizations get this idea of onboarding, they turn it into this like arduous, (laughs) you know, like tortured road for the customer to go down. And it's all about paperwork. And it's all about kind of the company's perspective, the organizational perspective. And I love that turning it into an invitation really does. It's, it's welcoming, but it's also about the customer. And too many times, that's not what onboarding actually is to these companies. So I love the way you define that. And You know, sometimes that part of the journey for a customer, depending on the situation and the context and everything, 
But let's take software implementation at Ooh, an enterprise exciting. company. Yeah, right? Right? Because everybody I'd... wakes up in the morning and they say, you know what I haven't had enough of lately? Software <laughs> implementation. Let's see if we can get that on the schedule for later this afternoon, Bob. Yeah, yeah. Every exactly. day. Every day. Let's implement some new software. <laughs> well, because it's never fun. It's no, always it's a miserable. Painful. It's not even fun yeah. for the people who are selling it. That's the it's kicker. Not. I mean, there are some businesses that not not only is it a painful experience for the customer, it's a painful experience for the provider. And yes. software implementation is a is a very good example of that. Well, and so what do you do then? What you know, if we know that we're going to have this bumpy beginning where everybody's kind of miserable and it's a little painful, how do you make those first 100 days meaningful in a way that they don't go, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous and I hate this company and I hate this software and I hate my job. Sure. Well, Je <laughs> Jeannie, I love, I love this question because it actually gets to a couple of things. Number one, how we need to think about the human beings we're dealing with. And number two, the tactical solution to the problem. So number one, how do we deal with the humans we're, we're interacting with? The t one of the main challenges in a software implementation situation is the person who is purchasing the software and making the decision to use your company as their software solution rarely is the person who's responsible for the implementation. Yep. So we have a big disconnect between the person who says, yeah, I love it. This salesperson was awesome. I believe this is the product. This is the solution. This is going to make our life better. Hey, Sally, you're going to be in charge of this project, <laughs> right? It's like, wait a second. Yeah. Sally wasn't involved in any of the conversations. She didn't know anything about this. And you know, the, there's a particular example that I talk about in the book to get into the tactics about an amazing company out of Toronto called Policy Medical. So Policy Medical has a software solution that helps hospitals manage their policy records. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds really sexy to me. And let me make it seem <laughs> even more horrific. When I say policies, I mean like every hospital has a policy about how you're supposed to wash your hands. Mm -hmm. And th these policies are legally required on a global basis. They operate you know, internationally to be tracked and retained. And they have to be able to prove that an employee has attested to the policy, which basically means that they read it and understood it. And they need to manage all of this. And it's really important. The problem is policy management usually falls under the HR function. So now you're taking someone who's chosen the career path of HR and you're telling them they have a software implementation to do. <laughs> Folks, let's be candid. I say this respectfully to both people in technology and people in HR. The Venn diagram on the overlap of interest <laughs> in those two areas is very small. Like, I don't even know that the circles actually touch each other. So with Policy Medical, we said, all right, what are we going to do to make this more fun? And when I first started working with them, they had Gantt charts. They had spreadsheets. They had a... I think it was when we originally did it, it was something like a 38-step process that took mm. three months. Now, I don't know about you, that already is making me anxious. Seriously. And I'm not even involved in it, right? I'm not, I mean, we're just talking about this in the hypothetical. So what we did is we said, let's simplify things. The first thing we did is we took it down to 19 steps, which is still a lot, but for a software implementation, felt pretty manageable. Number mm -hmm. two, on when after the company signs, uh, the hospital group signs to use this software, and they identified the person who, again, usually is someone in HR to, management, to manage it. 
the Policy Medical sends them an overnight FedEx box. And when they open the FedEx box, what they find in it are 20 little colored, almost like playing cards, right? And on one side, they have a colorful picture. And on the other side, if you flip it over, it has the steps in the process for the implementation. Now, I say 20, and I previously said 19. Card number 20 says, congratulations, we're live. Oh, nice. Okay? Nice. So we, we kind of build that into it. It also includes a picture frame whereby you are able to insert the little cards into the picture frame as you complete that step in the puzzle. So what we did is we almost gamified and we made it more mm -hmm. visual and playful. This works really well for people in HR. Now, the people in IT love the Gantt chart and love the spreadsheet. The people in HR like the pretty picture. Now, this is a sweeping generalization I'm making here, and I don't mean to insult either anyone in IT or HR, but what we found is that the typical person managing this type of project on the software implementation was a female aged 40 to 60, who this was the first software implementation they'd ever done. They worked in a cubicle that they liked to decorate with, one might say, bits of flair, if you're familiar with the movie uh, Office Space. Nice. And so we thought, <laughs> what can we do to make this a game to make it fun so if you're sitting there thinking well joey i wouldn't be interested in this type of a puzzle piece at all you're probably not a woman working in hr doing hospital records management between the ages of 40 and 60 who likes having flair in their cubicle so we need to know <laughs> who our customers are and then build the onboarding tools to fit them since they've done this not only have their implementations gone smoother and happened faster they've been able to to dramatically reduce the amount of time it takes for the implementation. And something like 75, 80% of their customers that do this, these women now have this picture frame hanging in their cubicle as kind of a talisman or a reminder, a memento mm -hmm. of this really difficult software implementation that they did that they steered successfully. Wow, that's really cool. I like that idea. See, I'm one of those people, even though I'm not in HR. I'm like, oh, give me flair. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so and so, a lot of the things I think when it comes to onboarding your customers, we, we talk uh, in customer experience in the world of customer care regularly about the, oh, you need to get into the shoes of your customers. No, you really need to literally understand the path they're on and mm -hmm. design your interactions and your touch points to communicate with them in the ways that are most interesting and most uh, useful to them. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, it's, it's so challenging in so many industries when you have things like software implementation and things that just aren't that sort of friendly and exciting by nature. And then when you have employees like Jeannie who wear the minimum number of flair <laughs> it becomes another issue as well. We, we were actually, Joey, we were going to do video for this. And then when Jeannie showed up, she had the minimum number of, of flares on her. And you were like, okay, no video. No video. We are we just yes. doing audio. We not represent like that, Jeannie. Well, you know, what's, I love what's great about the book is you have so many examples. It's crazy. And Policy Medical is an awesome one. But let's maybe take one that's a little less painful. Tell us, uh, like, what's your favorite example in the book? 
You know, I appreciate that, Adam. There are 46 different case studies in the book that range from small solo entrepreneur companies that'll do well under a million dollars in revenue to large hundreds of thousands employee companies that are operating multinationally and will do billions and billions. And so asking me to pick my favorite case study is kind of <laughs> like I'm, I'm a father of two boys. It's like asking me to pick which of my sons uh, I love the most. But, w- <laughs> but what I will share is there, there are two that I I think uh, are not only interesting case studies, but are, uh, you know, kind of representative of the type of takeaways that I hope people get from reading the book. Number one is a web development firm called Yokoko, and they develop websites, right? So we've all probably at some point been through the joy of developing a website. Uh, but what Yokoko does differently that I feature in the book is they have a post launch survey. So lots of companies, when you go through and you launch a website, you get to the end and you never want to talk to those people again, or at least you want it to be a long time. They actually send a post-launch survey that goes to the employees who worked on the project, as well as the client and everybody who worked on the project. And then they have a big meeting where they get everyone together and they share the survey results. And they give the honest feedback of what worked, what didn't work, what would you do differently. Uh, with the employees, they'll ask them questions like, uh, would you be interested in working with this client again? Yes, no, or never. Um, you know, with the with the client, yeah, you know, what was your favorite part? What was your least favorite part? Where are we? And what I love about this is it continues the conversation after the accomplish phase. In the book, I identify eight phases uh, that your customer has the potential to go through in their customer journey. And phase six is accomplish, where the customer achieves the goal they had when they originally decided to do business with you. In this scenario, this is somebody who launches the website because right, they hired them to build the website. But if you want to get to that place where they become a loyal fan or raving advocate, moving to the adopt phase or even the advocate phase, you have to acknowledge that you accomplished the goal. And so this post-event survey uh, and then the meeting that comes from it, which I describe in a lot more detail in the book, I think is a really creative way to keep moving past the original goal. The other one I will say is uh, comes from the incomparable uh, Taylor Swift. And what Taylor <laughs> Swift did is she put... Adam's the, favorite. There you go. Exactly. I knew you were a Swifty fan. I'm a, sw- I'm a um, Swift, so, Swifty, right? Is that right? You're a Swifty. I like it. I like it. So uh, Taylor Swift, what she did is she came off of one of her tours and she decided to uh, create some magical moments for her customers. Now, if you stop and think about someone like Taylor Swift, she has millions and millions of fans all over the world. And one of the things I run into often when I deal with uh, clients and audience members is they say, well, Joey, these, these ideas are great, but how are we supposed to create remarkable customer experiences and these surprise and delight moments for every customer we have? That's just overwhelming. Folks, you don't have to do it for every customer. And sometimes if you just do it for some of them and the word gets around, people are actually excited about this. And that's what Taylor did. Taylor used social media the way I think social media should be used, which is as a listening tool, not a broadcasting tool. She identified about 20 or 30 of her uh, fans and went on their social media profiles and learned everything they sh- that she could what was going on in their life? What were the challenges they were facing? What were they hoping to get for Christmas? Uh, what, uh, you know, what were their friend groups like? What were their interests? What were their hobbies? She then personally put together some Swiftmas 
packages for these <laughs> folks and sent them to them. And so like one of the women that she sent one to was really close to paying off her student loan and uh, Taylor Swift paid it off for her. Another one had talked about some challenges her friends had had over the years. And she had talked about this on her uh, Facebook page. And Taylor looked and did a, a present for the two of them to spend the day together and have all these incredible experiences. So she really gifted into what was most important for those customers or those fans. And I think the takeaway for the typical business is if you're giving a gift that has your corporate logo on it, it is not a gift. Stop deluding yourself, okay? It's a marketing tool. I'm not anti-promotional product. I'm just anti-companies believing that they're giving their customers gifts when they do that. Um, a gift is a present. It's something that is desired by the recipient. It's something that's going to make them feel good. It's something that is shows and evinces a level of thoughtfulness and commitment to the relationship. So those are two examples of the 46 that I think are, are kind of interesting and creative ways to uh, enhance the touch points you're having with your customers. Well, and and they're all great examples. I think anybody can learn from them and get inspired by them and really, and like you said, it's for any size company, which is pretty, pretty cool. Um, and, you know, I think Adam is going to be really sad that he was not one of those Taylor Swift fans to get a Christmas uh, uh, gift from Taylor Swift. Maybe next time, Adam. You know, she only did a handful that, that holiday season. She's been doing this actually every year for a few I, years I, now. I, so I was really cool. upset about it, but then I just okay. decided to shake it off. Oh, oh, nice. Look at that. That wasn't even a setup, Ooh. folks. That's, this is live TV, live <laughs> podcasting. That was just on the fly. I wow. love it. See, only a, a true Swifty oh. would be able to say that. <laughs> so, so true. So true. <laughs> so this is fascinating. And I do think anybody can really learn from this. But as we wrap up here, I have a quick final you know, buzzer beater question for you, which is, Probably enormous, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> all right. All right. Here we go. So this is the question that Adam and I and all of us who work in customer experience get all the time. What's the real ROI here? So you're telling everybody, spend a lot on you know paying attention to your customers these first 100 days, really get them on board, welcome them into the process. What's the return on that investment? So a uh, great question and one that does get thrown around in this space a ton. A couple things. Number one, I don't think that you necessarily need to spend a lot when it comes to money. What you need to spend a lot of is thoughtfulness and being conscious and conscientious about the interactions you're having with your customers. Uh, since we only have a little bit of time and it's a big question, let me do what I like to think of as the statistical flood. Let me show the research <laughs> of how this works and just overwhelm people. Because a lot of people are in a place of they're like, okay, I get it, Joey, you want me to feel, but how do I explain that to our CFO when we need a check, okay? Mm -hmm. Here's what you say to the more uh, bean counter, uh, spreadsheet oriented folks that want to be able the track a clear ROI. Number one, a 5% increase in customer retention leads to a 25 to 100% increase in profits. These are not Joey's numbers. These come from Harvard Business School, Stanford Business School, Bain & Company. This is research that has been vetted and proven time and time again. If we keep our customers, our profits increase dramatically. Just 5% increase in retention equals 25 to 100% increase in, product, in profits. Number two, uh, 
if you look at all businesses around the world, regardless of industry, if you are trying to prospect to a cold prospect to get them to become a customer for the first time, on average, you will succeed 5 to 20% of the time. However, if you are trying to sell something to an existing customer, those ratios skyrocket to you being successful 60 to 70% of the time. So it is easier to sell to existing customers. You make more money when you do it. But here's the real kicker. When you focus on customer experience, you dramatically reduce employee churn. Because employees feel more valued, they feel more special, they feel more taken care of because they are engaging with the customers more, they're more excited about their jobs. The typical business that I work with that has had employee retention issues prior to this sees them disappear immediately. One one case study uh, that we talk about was losing one to two employees per month. 18 months into implementing the first 100-day strategy, they haven't lost a single employee across the entire enterprise. Now, this is a really huge ROI because depending on whose research you look at, it can be you know healthy five figures into six figures to deal with an employee leaving in terms of lost productivity, uh, the opportunity to onboard a new employee to get them up to speed before they're producing and you know quote unquote earning back their salary. The last one I'll share comes from the world of Silicon Valley. VCs, and I'm about to say something positive about <laughs> venture capitalists, so hang on, folks. Uh, VCs have finally started valuing businesses based on their churn rates. This has shown up predominantly in software as a service, but it is starting to trickle into other industries as well. It's best illustrated by comparing two companies, one that we're going to call Retention Inc. and one that we're going to call Churn Co. Now, Retention Inc. has a 5% defection rate. They're losing 5% of their customers annually. And so in year one, they're valued at $5 million. On the alternative, churn company is losing 20% of their customers annually. So their valuation is only $3 million in year one. Where this gets sexy is in year five. In year five, Retention Inc., the company that is keeping you know, 95% of their customer year on and year out, uh, five years later is valued at $44 million. Whereas Churnco, who's losing 20% of their customers every year, is valued at only $17 million. Folks, at the end of the day, follow the money. If you're ever wondering how these things really work and you want to look at ROI, follow the money. The VCs are putting their money into the companies that pay attention to customer retention, which is yet one of the many reasons why this should be on your radar as well. I love it. Follow the money. Wow. All right. Well done. Well, Joey, thanks so much. This has been fantastic. <laughs> love it. Uh, please tell our audience where they can find you. Find the book, all that great stuff. Absolutely. Well, it's been a joy being on the show. I would love it if you would check out the book. It's called Never Lose a Customer Again. Uh, it's all about the eight phases your customer goes through, the 46 case studies that will show you how to do it. It's really, I tried to write a book that would stand the test of time. So you're not going to see a lot of examples about, well, this is the new software you should buy to do this. You're going to see things that speak to human nature. I'm a student of human nature. Uh, would love it if you check out the book. We've got the book, the ebook. We've got the audiobook. So for you podcast listeners, if you've enjoyed the, <laughs> the nature of my voice and you want to hear me whisper in your ear an entire book, uh, you're welcome to check out the audiobook. It's available <laughs> on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Anywhere you would buy a book, it's going to be available. So definitely check it out. And if you want to learn more, come to my website. It's joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y 
guy, like a five-year-old you know somewhere. Uh, Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, joeycoleman.com. There you're going to find more information about the book, free videos, free things that you can download, all sorts of uh, tips, techniques, and tricks to help you keep your customers. Well, this has been fantastic. So thank you so much for joining us. And I can't wait to... uh, you know, listen again and actually follow all that math you just laid on us. So thank you. <laughs> this was It's my awesome. pleasure. All right. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Thank you. Wow. Well, I think if every company focused on that first 100 days like Joey does, we would live in like this magical utopia where everybody's happy. wow i was a big fan of joey but i'm not gonna go that far (laughs) yeah joey was awesome i I love his energy and uh, oh he brought the data you know how i do love the data oh my goodness did he yes i know that was that was all just kind of what he had in his brain too so that's pretty impressive that he carries all that around making it rain with data Well, yeah, that was really cool. And I I think everybody, I really believe this, everybody could learn something from those examples and get inspired to really think creatively about that phase for their customers too. So really cool discussion. More importantly, something really important did happen on this episode, and I, I don't want it to go unmentioned. We put a stake in the ground. We planted our flag in the Taylor Swift, <laughs> you know, versus a uh, Katy Perry feud. We are officially Team Swift now. It seems. Oh, but can't we all just get along? I mean, can't I like them both, or is that not allowed? East Coast, West Coast, Swifty Perry. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if there can't be peace in our time, Jeannie. But, uh, but we did discover your deep love for Taylor Swift. So I yeah, think so that's my, my cool. deep my deep knowledge. I know the lyrics. <laughs> I know the uh, the hook from the song that has seven billion YouTube views. Have you ever seen the video? It's insane. Yeah, it's in the billions. It's I mean, the scale of it is unimaginable. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> well, I think we've, them. Lo- we've lost the thread. <laughs> I was. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks to Joey. And we hope that you can walk away and really take some of those examples. And, you know, if you get a Christmas gift from Taylor Swift, we want to know about it. So that's the other thing I'll say. But <laughs> yes, please let us know. Well, we so appreciate you being here, not just for the first 100 days, but here we are on episode 315. So thank you so much for listening to Crack the Customer Code. We, of course, are a proud member of the C-Suite Radio family. Check out business content on both csuiteradio.com and csuitetv.com. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and find our blog and many other customer experience resources at cxcontent.com. And I'm Adam Tepork, and you can learn more about me, our customer service workshops, our virtual training at CustomersThatStick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.